0: The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association
1: with EY, building a better working world.
2: Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Now, with Christmas only days away, what better time to reflect on some of the biggest business stories of the year? And joining me on that journey of reflection is Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times and Joe Brennan, Markets Correspondent of the Irish Times. And Joe, it's with you I'm going to start. After more than a decade of free money, cheap money, low interest rates, it's all over. Uh, They're back with a bang.
0: Absolutely and obviously the biggest beneficiaries of that are the Irish banks and even the Irish banks versus other European banks. uh, Irish banks would typically generate around 80% of their income from interest Um, whereas European banks would be about 50-60%. They would have much higher levels of uh, fee and commission income than, than Irish banks. So, The increase in interest rates uh, that we've seen, the dramatic kind of increase in interest rates we've seen across the ECB uh, in in recent months has really benefited the Irish banks. We saw... Even this time last year, um, when we had noises from other major central banks about moving interest rates in reaction to rising inflation at that time, we still had kind of dovish comments coming from the top of the ECB that they really believed at that stage that it was kind of a temporary phenomenon, a, a kind of a COVID phenomenon, just given the amount of money that was the trillions that were pumped into capital markets during uh, COVID-19. And obviously, we saw a kind of a huge demand for, for goods, and we saw... Uh, bottlenecks, supply bottlenecks, which all contributed to inflation at that time. By early this year, it was very clear uh, and certainly with uh, the the war, uh, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the impact on, of that on uh, energy prices and, and food prices and the, the knock-on impact of that, it was clear that the ECB was going to have to move. And it started in July. Uh, it moved uh, on interest rates for the first time in more than a decade. It had a 0%, uh, 0% rate on its main lending rate. It had a deposit rate of minus zero point minus 0.5% uh, on deposits and it has had to move quite dramatically mm. since then. So you see the the main interest rate has gone from 0 to 2.5 as of last week and further interest rates are expected um, early next year to try and contain uh, inflation.
2: Yeah, so the immediate impact was on those who had tracker mortgages because they're following DCB the rates, so they were hit uh, straight away uh, essentially and and those on variable rates, uh, obviously, in the firing line as well. If you had a fixed rate, you're, you're fine for the term uh, of, of that fixed contract. But those fixed rates uh, have been increased by all of the banks, I think. Now, haven't they? Yeah. So the banks for new borrowers.
0: Yeah. So the banks have moved more on fixed rates. They have moved on on standard variable rates. The, the, the main banks. There have been mm-hmm. some moves among the non bank lenders in that space. But the the main lending as of uh, late has been in fixed rates. Um, And that's where the banks have moved. Now, they've only passed on a percentage of the the amount that the ECB has increased by. We've seen kind of a greater move by the the non-banks. So we saw a number of non-bank lenders like ICS, Finance Ireland, uh, Avant Money coming into the market in recent times, replacing some of the uh, other lenders that left the Irish market following the crash. Now, they, unlike the banks, would, uh, they fund themselves in the capital markets. And as Noises were coming earlier this year. That interest rate increases were on the way. The market started pricing that in, so that was reflected in the in the prices that these non-bank lenders had to pay up for their own money. So they started in in yeah. March, April to increase rates. Uh, to, 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 basically, and in because some cases, of their- they've
2: effectively taken themselves out of the market, haven't they? I mean, ICs is effectively out of the market given the rates it's charging.
0: Not just the rates, but also the the, the limits, the temporary uh, kind of tightening of the of the of the lending limits. So uh, up until now, we've had a three point five. So if you were taking out a loan, you could actually borrow up to three point five times yep. your salary. They moved in in August to tighten that. They say it's a temporary thing uh, to two point five. So they're effectively out of a large chunk of the market where people are actually borrowing. Okay. What about those people
2: who were in arrears, had their loans sold by the mainstream banks? found themselves uh, now with a loan to an investment fund, vulture fund, call them what you want. Those rates have been going up as well, haven't they?
0: Yeah, so um, Pepper, which would be one of the main kind of service providers to an awful lot of the loans that would either have been sold on to investment firms uh, following the crisis, and also some of the banks have actually securitized, So they've actually refinanced and moved off their own balance sheet large kind of chunks of of loans that would have been problematic. Uh, And certainly in the kind of tightening definition of what was a non-performing loan, they were kind of falling under that and the banks were going to have to increase the amount of provisions against those loans. So we've seen some of the banks, rather than selling them to international funds, they've actually kind of refinanced them in the the bond market uh, through a process called securitization, And the likes of Pepper uh, would be the, 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 the main kind of service provider to that. Now, they would say they look at each individual uh, portfolio that they manage on the basis of the cost of funds and all of that kind of crack but you're talking about rates of certainly in recent times you' seen rates of six 6.5 seven percent uh for 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 these kinds of borrowers yeah chunky very chunky yeah
2: cliff in terms of I don't the interest rates going up doesn't help the housing market uh, any. Does the dynamic in the housing market it makes it more difficult, arguably, for borrowers to, uh, sure. to get a loan?
1: Sure, absolutely.
2: Um, although I know the central bank has loosened the macroprudential rules, so people can borrow a little bit more.
1: Yeah, there's a bit a of, bit of pull and push there. All right, as you say, Kieran. So on, on the one side, the central bank has has eased the rules a bit, um, so borrowers will be able to get a bit get a bit more cash. But obviously, it is an issue for the housing market in two ways. One is it's going to affect demand. So that if you're a developer looking at building a new uh, a new block of apartments or 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 housing development, you're going to be reckoning that you know demand is going to be affected from borrowers over the next few years by the fact that they're going to be borrowing at much higher interest rates, notwithstanding the bit of leeway they have now from the uh, from from the central bank. The other thing is, of course, that in terms of people the developers and the investment funds who were investing in housing, uh, they now have other options. Uh, they have other safe options. So one of the things that had driven their investment here over the last few years, uh, and indeed in markets across the world, was that uh, there was no there was nowhere else to put cash and get a return. A very limited number of places they could get a return on cash. So the Irish housing market, housing markets in, in other areas, and other kind of r- more risky assets were the place they had to go to get any kind of return. Now, you know, you can get whatever... 3.5%, 3.7% on US government guilt, uh safest houses. Um, so the bar, if you like, for investing in Irish property has gone up a bit. And I think that's particularly an issue for, seems to be particularly an issue for investing in apartment blocks here, uh, where the sums uh, seem to be looking a bit tricky. Obviously, investment there has been driven by these funds over the last few years, controversially in some ways, uh, but at least it has led to some, some supply in the market. Uh, but now there's kind of whispers that some of the developments may not be finished out or other ones that had been planned may not be started. So the market's in a bit of flux, I think.
2: Yeah, so that's going to have a knock-on impact in terms of the uh, availability.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So the numbers, I mean, with 28,000 housing completions forecast this year by the experts... Uh, it seems to be about where it's going, which is up a bit on last year, obviously a bit of a bounce back from COVID, shy of the government targets of 33. And, and, and I think those car- targets are going to be, have to be revised up on the basis of the census of population, which has shown that the population is bigger than we thought. And people are now talking 40,000, 45,000 a year. But but there had been some improvement, but the risk now from the government's point of view is that it, that slips back next year or certainly doesn't increase further. So I think they face a challenge there. And I think if we're going to see one area where Leo Varadkar may try to make his mark in the first few months, it's going to try to to get stuck into that problem, you would think, because if they don't do it now, if they don't get the starts picking up now, by the time the general election comes, late 24, early 25, uh, you know, the completions won't be there. They'll be an even yeah. worse, a worse pickle than they're in at the moment, if you like. Now, what will rising interest rates mean for our gargantuan national debt? OK, at the moment, I saw, uh, I saw Michael Summers there, the former head of the NTMA, issuing a kind of a mini warning, I suppose you might say, a few days ago that, you know, this is going to make a difference, and it is going to make a difference. You'd have to say that the NTMA has done a really good job over the last few years. They've borrowed a lot of money at very low interest rates. Uh, they have that in the bank now. Uh, they've refinanced a lot of old debt, so the average rate on our on our debt has come, has come way down. And the amount of money they have to borrow next year is very low. So, you know, we're well set for the next couple of years. And we've been in the extraordinary position where we've been borrowing a lot more money the national debt's going up. But the repayments, the annual repayments have actually been going down because of this fantastic impact of, of lower interest rates. Now, that's that's come to an end now. Uh, and, you know, there's no doubt that uh, the national debt is, is, is still an issue in the background there now with interest rates going up. It's something that investors are going to focus on. It's something that if the economy did hit another speed bump in two or three years time, for whatever reason, it could be a kind of a particular constraint on us. It's still at a very high level by historical standards and by international standards.
2: Why do we need to borrow? I mean, we're talking about a surplus, projected surplus of 12 billion and 7 billion
1: next year? We don't at the moment. Uh, We don't at the moment. And uh, there's this, I think they're planning to borrow 7 billion next year, which would be to refinance debt that is maturing, if you like. And I suppose just to keep Ireland in the markets, uh, what they, what the borrowers or what the NTMA say look we just have to keep our relationship with borrowers we have to keep some issuance going to keep Ireland in the market uh, and, and to keep our cash cash pile up if you like so I suppose given that we've borrowed a lot more over the last few years and given that the NTMA has the leeway where rates to kind of rise sharply further to say to hold back and, and, and not raise anything next year if needs be I think they're in a reasonably good position I mean the cash pile last time we looked was 27 billion I can never remember it being that kind of level before. Uh, I mean that's whatever 30 percent of total tax revenues in a year I mean it's, it's it's a massive amount of money, as you say, a very strong surplus position. So like the economy no doubt the, no doubt the economy is turning tax revenues may turn, but we have a lot of firepower there in the kitty that is, is one of the one of the better economic news stories I suppose heading into next year. Yeah, that national debt,
2: Joe, is a legacy, uh, or part of it at least, is a legacy of the 2008 uh, financial crash. And that legacy has been hanging over the banks for the past uh, 15 years. But perhaps uh, beginning to lift a little bit, the state is no longer a shareholder in Bank of Ireland. And just in recent weeks, um, Pascal Dunne, who, as he was heading out the door as Minister for Finance, announced a loosening of the rules on bankers' pay, which date back to post-crash?
0: Yeah, I think that was one of the actually surprises of the year um, that we saw some sort of movement on uh, bankers' pay Uh, and just uh, as you mentioned there, Bank of Ireland, um, the state sold its remaining shares in Bank of Mm -hmm. Ireland in in, in September of this year and they received, all told, about £6.7 all told, in terms of cash recovered from Bank of Ireland, from various investments in Bank of Ireland and interest and all kinds of things added onto that. Uh, you also had guarantee fees and and so on added onto that figure, and and that's about two billion above what was put into Bank of Ireland itself. So that was Bank of Ireland was had exited, uh, and also you saw a sell down of the stake in AIB. So at the beginning of the year, the state held seventy one percent. It dribbled and and also sold kind of chunks of, of of shares onto the market and reduced the stake to about fifty seven percent, receiving about one billion uh, as a result of, of, of of that. Um, so you're seeing a kind of gradual kind of reduction of the uh, of the of the uh, shares in the banks, uh, and there has been kind of growing kind of pressure from from the banks themselves, and certainly Bank of Ireland, given that it has paid back its 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 um, its bailout and is now in full uh, private hands to kind of re- relax restrictions that kind of date it back to 2008 2009. Um, and we saw the minister as part of a banking review. So there was a review carried out over the past 12 months. It was released uh, at the beginning of this month. Um, and one of the recommendations in that were to uh, to allow for a reintroduction of... of um, of variable pay of up to or bonuses basically of up to 20,000 which is the limit before a another restriction kicks in which is enshrined in law and there is very little prospect of that the being changed. Yeah. The super tax which is a prohibitive tax mm. on bonuses above uh, 20,000 20, and you've also seen a lifting of the 500,000 uh, salary cap for, for, for Bank of Ireland executives and there is a, a commitment that once the shareholdings in, in AIB and permanent GSB and the government again uh so it's re- it's uh, stake in permanent gsb reduced from 75% to 62% as natwest which owns ulster bank is selling uh, a chunk of loans to permanent gsb it receives shares in permanent gsb as part yeah. of that so as they reduce further there is a commitment that uh, the 500,000 euro cap uh, pay cap for 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 permanent gsb and aib uh will be will be lifted as well they call it an appropriate level. We don't know what that level is. And that is now a question for Pascal donahue's successor, Michael McGrath, who's now the new uh, finance minister, finance to minister, decide yeah. on that one.
2: Joe, this is also the year when Ulster Bank and KBC uh, accelerated their plans to exit the market. So we've had the big switch. Uh, for some people, they have to switch their uh, various accounts to other lenders. still a lot of people uh, required to do that, but it's only going to leave three players on the high street, effectively. Bank of Ireland, AIB, and permanent TSB. Is that enough in competition terms? Um,
0: Certainly, Um, the Banking Review um has found that competition is okay in certainly the retail part of the market, because you have non-bank lenders in certain areas. And you also have, you know years ago we went to one bank we used one bank for everything and now we use different financial service providers for different things and that's only that's a phenomenon that's only going to increase as people become more digital digitally aware and and, and uh, use internet banking and for payments and everything so people are more people are more inclined to use different service providers for different things so you're going to see various kind of players coming to the market looking to kind of cherry-pick certain parts of, of financial services, uh, and that's just a phenomenon that's going on internationally. Um, an area where there is less competition is in the area of SME lending and, and, and corporate lending. That's, that's an area um, that is probably not getting as much uh, mm. competition as, say, mortgages per se. Yeah. Cliff, um, do you buy this that three players in the market is enough?
1: Yeah, I mean, as Joe said, the world has changed a bit. So you know, the likes of the the non-bank lenders in the mortgage market, although we've seen how um, they can come and go, and the revolutes uh, in terms of you know financial services are, are, are causing the big banks to up their game. All right, um, so so I think in a lot of areas in the market, um, there should be reasonable competition. As Joe said, the business business does seem to be an area, particularly SMEs. Uh, the loan rates there seem to be still quite quite tasty. Um, and you do hear complaints from that sector that, you know, their options aren't, aren't huge at the moment.
0: And another thing is, look at one of the remaining banks, Permanent TSB. If we look at Permanent TSB before Ulster Bank and KBC decided to leave, it was facing the kinds of returns. So that the profit returns on the amount of shareholders' money that's in the bank uh, were so low that in time, if we were to continue on that basis, it was going to be an unviable bank. Uh, what's made this a real viable proposition at this stage is the fact that it's able to banks haven't been able to grow their, their balance sheets they've shrunk their balance sheets dramatically since the, the, the crisis um, uh, partially because they were driven to do so by, uh, by by regulators but also there's been a huge contraction of demand for, for credit people have been paying back loans faster than taking on new credit yeah. uh, and we've we've heard over the years that we've reached this kind of point where uh, loan growth is going to grow and that has never really happened and banks have had to buy Balance sheet and have to have had to to buy to grow. And Permanent TB, Permanent TSB is a classic example of that. It was facing kind of two, three, four, five percent uh returns on shareholders' equity uh, for their foreseeable future, which is totally unviable for a bank.
1: Yeah, the other thing that would worry you a bit about the banking sector, in your view on this, Joe, is their kind of ability to lend to the developers and the property sector. Uh, which they haven't done for years was, in any meaningful absolutely life. because uh, after the crash they were tied up with all kinds of rules and regulations and uh, particularly the regulators in Europe trying to ensure that the Irish banking sector doesn't get itself in the same kind of bind as it did back in 2008 uh, but it does seem now with a lot of the international funds withdrawing uh, that there's going to be a gap there in terms of funding and everyone's saying well, look the Irish banks only have a limited appetite or a limited ability to fill this in that seems to me to be a bit of a problem in a market where you know there's a need for finance and there's a massive wedge of deposits in banks' books, but A can't translate into B.
0: Yeah, access one and B cost uh, these kind of non-bank lenders to property developers who were charging higher rates. Uh, they were willing to kind of be take on riskier types, slightly riskier types yeah. of uh, propositions. And banks, banks will only fund against a. Uh, the mainstream banks will only fund against. Uh, something that has full planning permission at this stage uh, and a chunk of equity has to be applied to that as well whereas the non-bank lenders were willing to take on a bit more risk but you paid up for that and we've seen interest rates increase anyway so the cost of that and the viability of you know some plans that may have been kind of touch and go development plans yeah. that may have been touch and go now are unviable because of the increasing costs of that and there is very little prospect of the banks uh, relaxing their rules or the restrictions in terms of uh, development lending.
1: At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our
0: exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients,
1: enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com.
2: It was also the year when the banks, I think we can say this with some confidence now, put the Tracker Mortgage scandal behind them. All of the fines have been issued uh, now by the central bank. Um, a huge pot of money uh, was generated. I'm not sure what the central bank's exactly going to do with that money. Probably give it back to the state, I guess.
0: But... Anyway, um, is that over? Is that tracker scandal finished with now? Well, certainly it was a a landmark kind of a year in terms of that whole uh, scandal, in terms of the uh, tracker investigations that took place. We saw that the final two, uh, AIB and its EBS subsidiary, they were fined almost 100 million, I think 97 million uh, during the summer. And a few months later, we saw the biggest fine of all for Bank of Ireland, mm. just over 100 million. So they were the two big ones, and they were outstanding when they, the central Bank had settled with others. Is the tracker scandal over... No, um, we also have uh, we also have cases where Ulster Bank it's currently in court. We have to yet have to get a ruling on that. But uh, Ulster Bank is 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 arguing in court arguing in court that a certain cohort of of, of borrowers. Uh, are not entitled uh, to uh, to be included for redress, whereas the Financial Services uh, and Pensions Ombudsman uh, has concluded that they are. And we have a similar case uh, being taken by Permanent TSB against the FSBO in, in, in relation to his determination that certain uh tracker bar tracker customers who are not part of the whole central bank review redress kind of uh, scheme uh, that they are entitled to uh, to 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 redress as well so uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in addition um it's uh, the, the central bank has made it clear that it will go after individuals now uh, and, and and seek to kind of uh, take on individuals that were involved in decisions that uh, left people uh, without their 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 right to attract a mortgage.
2: Right. Okay. Well, it's taken them some time. Uh, I wish them luck in that. Um, Cliff, was this year a peak corporation tax year? Hasn't quite finished yet, but. Uh, estimates of twenty three billion euro, which is probably four times what it was a decade ago, maybe uh, yeah, there head, thereabouts.
1: Yeah, and towards five times, four and a half times, probably. Yeah, yeah,
2: it's it's, uh, it's incredible. Um, yeah. And yes, we have a year when you know we see the tech sector has taken a hammering in the second half of the year. And you have to imagine. We don't know for sure, but we have to imagine that the big tech companies here are paying a big chunk of that uh, are, corporation yeah. tax. Yeah. And then we have that OECD process that's been rumbling on for years, but finally seems to have made a breakthrough in terms of introducing this minimum 15% corporate tax rate globally, which Ireland has signed up to. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, there's a lot coming and going there. I mean, the one thing, I suppose you don't get that many actual surprises in this business, but the one thing that really surprised me this year that was when the November exchequer figures came out with the surplus for the year to date of 12 billion a monthly surplus of $5 billion. Like I don't think anyone has ever seen anything like that before. It was quite extraordinary. And as you say, it kind of makes you think that we're at peak tax now and corporation tax was a large part of that. And also the income tax paid by a lot of better off employees in this in the economy, a lot of whom work for these big tech companies. So we're pretty exposed there. I mean, looking back at it now, we've clearly gone through a period when the wind was behind us on all fronts in terms of corporation tax, uh, there was the 2015 uh, change in the rules uh, of international tax, which played hugely to our advantage. There was a massive period of growth by the tech and pharma industry, and that seemed to have accelerated then through COVID. So everything, if you like, was going in Ireland's favour. And now s- certainly some of the wins are, are are going to be against us, I think, in terms of corporate tax. Where the pluses and minuses add up is, is hard to tell. And goodness knows we've all called the top of this corporation tax thing enough times now to be cautious. But the negatives, I suppose, would be the obvious ones, the tech sector in difficulty, as you say, and uh, a general global recession, which is going to hit corporate profits. Uh, and a lot of those corporate profits, you know, well maybe not directly related to activity here, are booked in Ireland and are, are taxed in Ireland. So that is going to be an issue for corporation tax. There's no doubt about that. There are some... Things on the other side of the ledger as well, the pharma industry still seems to be in rude, good health, seems to have made extraordinary profits through COVID, not surprisingly, I suppose, uh, and still seems to be going in terms of investment plans, expansion plans. Um, So you'd expect that um, the tax from that sector would would keep going up. And if you're looking at the top five or six companies that are responsible for a large part of the tax here, you'd have to reckon maybe they're split 50-50 between pharma and tech. We, We don't know exactly. And the other thing that may play to our advantage is that a technicality if you like, uh, that a lot of companies moved big intellectual property assets here and got tax write-offs against those and those tax write-offs are now starting to run out. So more of the profits they earn here may be exposed to tax in future. So they may be they may be earning a bit less profit, but more of that profit a higher percentage may be exposed to tax, so that could could give us some Uh, some leeway going forward. And the other thing is the kind of complex factors in this OECD deal. Uh, The only thing that has actually been agreed to happen so far is an increase in the corporation tax rate on the biggest companies to 15%. That's going to mean more cash for Ireland. Uh, The other part of the deal could mean significant losses for Ireland, maybe even more than the 2 billion. This is where exactly the tax flows. Where where the the other part of the deal involves uh, moving a part of the taxing rights, as it's called, from Ireland to other countries, to big market countries. So we would lose some of our tax base from the other part of the deal. But it hasn't been agreed yet. And it looks like, will it be agreed? How will it be agreed? When will it be agreed? We don't know. But the one thing we do know is that the 15% is going to come in. And it's going to come in at the start of 2024. Uh, And I reckon we don't know exactly, but a back of the envelope calculation on, you know, a guesstimate, if you like, on how much uh, of the tax we get comes from companies that will qualify for this new tax. You have to have turnover of over 750 million. I reckon it's at least 2 billion extra for Ireland in terms of the existing tax payments and probably, and probably a bit more. So we have threats on the corporate tax front, pretty significant ones, I think, uh, but also some things that could, that could safeguard yeah. us. I mean, these companies have clearly moved what they do in Ireland to a whole new level now. Uh, and that's something that maybe we've all missed the extent of that over the last few years and uh, we can just hope it, it may be a defensive game now now for Ireland for rather than an offensive game holding on to what we've got rather than trying to get more but it's been a heck of a Heck of a boost to the year. Right,
2: yeah. Now uh, we should say, of course, in budget uh, 2023, um, the government did set aside some money for. They don't like to call it a rainy day fund, but reserve that's fund, please. Reserve fund, yeah. <laughs> so I can't. What's well, well, the figure? Two or three billion. Two uh, billion, yeah. From promised, this corporation tax windfall has been yeah, set aside. Yeah,
1: two billion, and also, of course, they're planning for a surplus next year. So they will argue that that gives them ability away as well yeah. because they can make it easier to the surplus, and they've promised to put another four billion aside next year. Um, so you just hope they haven't left it a bit late in terms of yep. putting money aside but at the same time they had to spend money through COVID to protect people's incomes and protect businesses so yeah. there were no easy decisions No,
2: Joe uh, a few other stories we want to quickly um, run through Digicel Elon Musk Larry Goodman uh, I mean you know you could go on and on but let's take Digicel uh, for Brian's uh telecoms company in the Caribbean he managed to sell the uh, Pacific operation uh, but he's been trying to reduce the debt Load, it's, it's highly indebted, isn't it, as a company?
0: Yeah, so again, this time last year when uh, debt markets were going gangbusters, even a borrower uh, like Digicel, which has been reliant, uh, basically built its business model around tapping the junk bond markets, which basically is the kind of the high cost riskier end of of, of the US uh, bond markets. Even a, even a borrower like Digicel, which has had to restructure its uh, debt uh, twice in the last four years, might have been seen as a prospect to actually go to the market again and actually raise money to 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 because these companies have to if you're in the junk if you are borrowing if bond, borrowing in the bond markets you have to refinance on a regular basis uh so there was Conceivably, last year, when when Digicel, uh, when the markets were where they were, and Digicel was in the process of selling its Pacific uh, part of the business, that actually would have been seen as, a, as something that was viable that could go to the market and and, and raise billions to, to 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 fund upcoming maturities. Since then, we've seen obviously the. Uh, Turmoil in global debt markets, and there has been felt no more, more uh, nowhere more than in the junk bond markets, where uh, the price of borrowing has has increased dramatically. And Digicel has found itself caught in that because a when it a few years ago when it restructured debt and it, it forced it basically inflicted about one point six billion of losses on. Uh, on uh bondholders there was a group of of bondholders that held about 2 925 million of bonds that are due in March of next year they were holdouts they refused to participate in the in 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 in, in the restructuring plan and they were higher ranked than a number of the other bonds as well so they could get away with it and they weren't relied on as much to get the the overall deal on the line so Digicel was prepared to leave them to the side um, they're now their bonds are now uh, falling due in March uh, and they're now priced at less than 40 cents in the dollar. Uh, we reported earlier this month that um, Digicel told uh, bondholders uh, on a call after it reported the latest set of quarterly earnings that it's looking to kind of push out uh, the maturities on those bonds. So basically looking to swap those bonds for uh, bonds that would have a longer kind of maturity date. They were speaking to uh, a Fitch analyst and they obviously keep a close eye on the Digicel uh, debt levels uh, and they reckon that, you know, if that is, that may be in the mix but it's more it's more likely that there will or there's a risk that there will be a comprehensive restructuring of, of Digicel's debt because it's sitting on minimal uh, equity at this stage. We have uh, obviously interest rates where they are. We have, it's Haitian business which is a, a, a one of the main profit mm. contributors to the group. That's hit by the the the, 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 uh, the, the situation in, in, in Haiti itself. They warned that the earnings in, in that part of the business would be down in the second half of this year. And we also have the dollar. So they I was going to say, that's a big problem for digital is that its
2: borrowings are in dollars it's, and its revenues are in local currencies that have been falling in value against the dollars. And
0: even in the last, Last number of months, the, the Haitian gourd has, has fallen by 20% against the dollar. So that's one big uh, risk hanging over the debt as well.
2: Okay. Uh, Cliff Elon Musk, uh, he's never far from the headlines, is he? So he took over Twitter this year, although he tried to back out of it at one stage for $44 billion, a huge sum of money, and then set about torching the place almost, mm. um, firing uh, pretty much everyone he could clap his eyes on. Uh, be- became CEO, became the chief twit. Sure. Uh, and now he's uh, he's done a poll, and uh, of of uh, his followers and the followers have said now appointed different CEO. So uh, he's now trying to hire uh, a new CEO. Uh, and meanwhile, Tesla's uh, share price mm-hmm. has the electric vehicle company that he's he's behind um, has tanked absolutely tanked, um, and he's been selling a huge number of shares. He's down to thirteen percent
1: now. Yeah, problems with the cars, it appears. Uh, <laughs> Is the problem there. Uh, yeah, I mean, Twitter, it's extraordinary, one of the stories of the year. And you can't help thinking that uh, Elon Musk is kind of following the Michael O'Leary uh, publicity theory, you know, get yourself in the paper, get yourself in the news no matter what. You know, so he bans journalists one day and he lets them back in the next day. He talks about letting Trump back in. Then he has a poll about whether he should be the chief executive or not. And he just keeps the whole thing going. But the, the problem for, for him is he's not only relying on users, he's also relying on advertisers. And obviously they're fighting shy now of the thoughts that a lot of what may appear on Twitter may not be as well moderated as it was in the past. There may be opinions that they feel their ads are are, are appearing behind opinions that are extreme or are are too far out there for 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 their liking. So you know, he looks like he looks like uh, you know a bit of a bull in a china shop that he's taken over something without a clear strategy of how to develop users and uh, develop advertisers. And um, you just wonder. You never know. You never really know what with really rich people what state their finances are in because they're huge assets but they also he's taken on a massive amount of debt and borrowings uh, for the 44 billion bill to buy Twitter uh, and you know the first few weeks haven't been great no they haven't um, and a lot of people see him as a
2: genius but he's not looking particularly smart Joe in, in terms of Twitter at the moment.
0: Yeah, well, just look at, I mean, the big concern is, is Tesla. So he's been using Tesla as an ATM. Uh, I think the last uh, Bloomberg and Reuters calculated in the last uh, 13 months or so, he's, he's uh, cashing about $40 billion uh, worth of shares in, in Tesla. A good chunk of that uh, since April when he first announced that he was uh, planning to take over Twitter. Uh, and he even said around that time that he wouldn't be selling further shares. We saw an additional three percent 6 billion of shares sold there uh, a few weeks ago, and it's very unclear as to what exactly that has been used for. Um, so that's a big kind of overhang over over the Tesla business, and there's also, you know, there are issues in Tesla itself. Um, we're seeing demand in in the US to, has has declined to the extent where they've had to cut the price of, of 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 their electric vehicles. Similarly, their second biggest market in 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 China had to do something similar, and we're also seeing in Europe uh, they have the, the the they've been selling the the Model Y, but they're actually bringing in a cheaper version of that now. Actually started in August is to bring in a cheaper version of that. We're seeing that in in, in Ireland next year, um, and so you're going to see the mix in terms of the, uh, the, the the vehicles that are being sold, a cheaper version of of that, as well. And the expectation among, among analysts is they're going to have to keep the temporary reduction in in car costs in 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 China lower for longer. Uh, to try and uh, boost up uh, rates there, and in, in in the U.S. as well, that they will have to, uh, to 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 keep the reductions, the recent reductions for for car prices to qualify for uh, rebates in in, in in for for bars to qualify for rebates in, in in the U.S. as well. So there are issues yeah. in the business itself, but if you're a shareholder in Tesla and you're seeing, you know, you're you're waking up in the morning and wondering what in God's name do they do overnight. Uh, that has been dragging on the share price and it's been dragging on, there, There's a clearly distraction drag, uh, but it's also dragging in terms of, you know, was you know, actually really in charge of Tesla and where this is going as well when it has issues of its own. Yeah,
1: I mean, it had the feel, it had the feel to itself there for a long time, Tesla, or not to itself, but it had a clear role in the electric market and tried to put itself as a premium product, but everyone else is They're all trying to have up. a bit of that lunch now and catching up and seem to have, reli- you know, better reliability, better prices, whole or new the- world.
2: Let's talk about Larry Goodman, because whenever he appears on the share register of a company, you sit up and take notice, he's done some interesting things in the past, Joe. Uh, And he appeared on the register of a company called Barry Rope, uh, formerly known as Providence uh, Resources, uh, an oil and gas exploration group. It has uh, potentially a big prospect off the south coast of Ireland, where we're told uh, there is potentially a lot of barrels of oil uh, under the sea. Um, But they haven't been able to progress that for because of a lack of funding. And then suddenly Larry Goodman turns up.
0: Yeah, so uh, Larry Goodman, I mean, yes, as you mentioned, he's he's cropped up in the past on the shareholder registers of uh, publicly limited companies. Uh, more recently in INM Independent News and Media, before it was sold, he was one of the few, I think he was the only billionaire that was on that uh, shareholder the register that made, made something on it. Uh, he also uh, built up a stake in Green Reit uh, as well, which ended up being taken over. And I think he made a turn on that as well. So, Larry is fairly astute when it comes to investing in, in 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 PLCs and certainly the price of Barry Barryroe shares their option prices at this stage they they don't reflect what we're told is the value of the uh, 300 million uh, dollars uh, sorry 300 million uh, barrels of oil plus that uh, were found over a dec- decade ago to be in this Barrio uh, field uh, some 50 kilometres off the the, the, the coast. If there's coast. so much oil down there, why hasn't it been taken out? Good question. Over the last decade, so not a drop has been taken out, over the last decade, there have been three attempts or three kind of agreements by Barrio, which was then known as Providence, to uh, bring in outside uh, investors and, and, uh, and partners to develop this. All three have fallen through uh because on oh, the other side didn't come up with the, the money needed to be able to do that. Uh, more recently, um in order to in order to progress the the, the 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 well um the they applied in April of last year for a, a permit to be able to extend the license, a permit to be able to do more work on the license to be able to drill uh, a further appraisal well. um that has not been issued. As of yet, and the reason why Barry, why why uh, Larry is in the news uh, more recently is that he has provided a forty million euro backstop to Barry Road to be able to uh, appease or, or, or certainly kind of ease concerns in the the Department of the Environment about uh, Barry Road's ability to actually finance the the, the, the the immediate work on 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 this site. Why would the department care about that? Well, that's a good question. So the department would. It, would need to know that there is finance in place to be able to progress to the extent that it needs to progress. There is a feeling... In the industry, that the department is looking for any excuse to delay uh, actually issuing that 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 that, that permit uh, to to continue to do work on that. And certainly, and the minister something...
2: is Eamon Ryan, who's the leader of the Green Party. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And the Green
2: Party don't want
0: exactly fossil fuels
2: being extracted.
0: Yeah. And last year he introduced the 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 the, the, the laws that uh, prohibits the issuing of uh, fresh rounds of licences to uh, to drill uh, for oil or, or gas. So we we only have the licences that exist and this is one of those
2: hmm. Cliff should we be drilling for oil off the coast of Ireland given the climate change challenges that we
1: face and yet we have the energy pressures mm. probably not would be my feeling uh, we've got to move away from fossil fuels we've got to invest our money elsewhere I think
2: 300 million barrels so.
1: Yeah, I so see we'll the keep us going already. for a long keep time. Keep going for a while. Yeah,
0: that would make sense if we weren't, you know, going to be using gas indefinitely. Anyway, um, we are importing gas. We're importing seventy percent of the gas. Uh, if you look at the International Energy Agency, its own uh, its own figures, it, it forecasts even with the commitments that governments around the world have made towards getting to net zero carbon uh, in twenty fifty, they're talking about over sixty percent of the mix still being in fossil fuels. And certainly we need to do way, way more in terms of uh, renewable energy. But we also have to accept that fossil fuels will be around for the foreseeable future. And there's less and less money being invested in fossil fuels uh, for various kind of ESG uh, reasons. And uh, absolutely right in many ways. But we still use fossil fuels and will for the foreseeable future. Even in the last decade, um, three Trillion dollars has been spent on renewable projects uh, around the world. 80 percent. The mix of of fossil fuel is still 80 percent. It's remained so, It's remained steady at 80 percent over the last. So we need to go way way faster in terms of renewables. But we will still need uh, fossil fuels, and certainly gas. And there would be gas in in, in, the, in this in this site as well. They haven't they haven't actually drilled enough. They haven't enough done enough work on that. But that is a part of the mix down there in Barry Row. We will need to, fossil fuels for the foreseeable future as well. Okay,
1: so, um, certainly a case for gas. I think all right. And uh, we made a, we, we 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 made a big mistake when the Kinsale field was being closed down. It could have been kept open as a big storage facility for gas. And um, look at the strategic advantage that would have given the country now.
2: Yeah, we don't get these things right, do we? That was okay, wrong call. we're going to close it out now, and I'm going to ask you for one key prediction for next year, Cliff.
1: Uh, Put me on the spot here. I think uh, I think the Irish economy will keep growing, but I, I think it, it, a recession will be a close enough thing next year. Uh, so I, I think we'll have growth in 2023, but it's going to feel uh, I think it's going to feel a lot different from this year. Joe,
0: <laughs> on the spot as well. Um, I think we will see, obviously we'll see uh, AIB's stake fall below 50% in uh, the government's stake in AIB fall below 50% uh, over the course of next year. And that will kind of, as we sell off more and more shares in AIB, it will expose uh, the shortfall, ultimate shortfall that the government will make on its $20.8 billion uh, bailout of AIB.
2: Okay, we'll leave it there. Cliff Taylor, Joe Brennan, thank you for joining us. OK, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Joe Brennan and Cliff Taylor for joining me on the show. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to The Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow The Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Happy Christmas.